this is an insane asylum. And the people who participate in it, not just the Bidens of the world and the Netanyahu's of the world, but also the people who silently go along with it, who quietly accept it as, well, this is just the way it is. All of them are inmates of the asylum. Hey friends, Sean from SGT Report here. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope God is bestowing many blessings upon you and your family in these incredibly insane times. In fact, my guest Brent Johnson calls it an insane asylum in Washington, D.C., and he's 100% right, of course. But guess what? You can opt out. Why pay these people any more blood money? And how about property taxes? Well, we dig into that too. Hey friends, welcome back. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Guys, it's always fantastic to have you here and I really appreciate you very much. Sean from SGT Report. Hey, in my last video, I titled it, It Is Coming, and I was referring to that spot Bitcoin ETF. I just wanna play this real quickly and then we're gonna move on to the core of the show, which is property rights, and we might even talk about property taxes, completely unconstitutional. We're going to start with a little bit of an update about the Middle East, that debacle, and that Viper Zionist masquerading as our president, Joseph Robinette Biden. He's an avowed Zionist. Do you know what that means? Well, you're about to find out, but I wanted to update you about this. It is coming. I don't like BlackRock, and I don't like Larry Fink, but I'm not dumb, so I listen to what he says, and he claims that buying Bitcoin which is property in China, Russia, and the United States, Bitcoin is viewed as property. Well, now buying Bitcoin is a flight to quality. Listen to this. This rally is way beyond the rumor. I think the the rally today is about a flight to quality with all the, you know, all the issues around the Israeli war now, um, global terrorism. And I think there's more people running into a flight to quality, whether that is in treasuries, gold or crypto, depending on how you think about it. And I believe crypto will play that type of role as a flight to quality. All right, before we move on, and we're going to talk about some good news happening right now over in Israel. I want to welcome to the show Brent Johnson. He's the host of the internationally renowned The Global Freedom Report, as well as the longtime running freedom talk show, The Voice of Freedom. Brent is also the author of The American Sovereign, How to Live Free from Government Regulation, The Pursuit of Happiness, Freedom, and the Human Spirit. I've had him on before. We'll have him on again. Brent Johnson, welcome back. How are you, my friend? Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Sean. Pleasure to have you. Okay, now for the good news. And I was really thinking about this a lot this morning before the call with Brent started. This is what you want to see, my friends. This is how we bring the madness of Zionism and wars without end to an end. This is how we do it. Thank God. Israeli citizens must take back their government and bring this horror show to an end once and for all. And frankly, we, the American people, need to do the same thing. We need to take our government back. This is how you end the madness in the Middle East. Half a million people gathered to protest the madness. BB is a murderer. That's what the people behind me are chanting. BB is a murderer. BB Netanyahu is a murderer. And he is a murderer. Guys, they're bombing the hell out of Gaza. They just bombed a hospital. And this lunatic masquerading as our president, Joseph Robinette Biden, he and Bibi just blamed it on Hamas. On Hamas. Hamas does not have the weaponry to blow up a hospital. And there are many sleuths on the Internet that have already sussed that out. The magnitude of the weapon used could not have come from Hamas. Guys, 
The madness must stop. And as a reminder, this pandering asshat masquerading as the U.S. president is a proud Zionist Rothschild bootlicker. You know, I used to say early on when I was a kid, I'd say when I was a young senator, I'd say, if I were a Jew, I'd be a Zionist. I am a Zionist. You don't have to be a Jew to be a Zionist. You don't have to be a Jew to be a Zionist. But when you are a Zionist, you fly to Israel, you sit by BB the murderer, and you make excuses for that bombing of the hospital in Gaza. Listen to this. Taking too much time, but the point is this, that uh, um, I was deeply saddened and outraged by the uh, explosion at the hospital in Gaza yesterday. And based on what I've seen, it appears as though it was done by the other team, not, not you. But there's a lot of people out there not sure. Yeah, we're not sure, that's for sure. By the way, Brent Johnson, welcome back to the show. Don't you find it funny that he calls it a team, not the other team? It looks like it was done by the other team. This isn't a game, Joe, you stupid Zionist puppet. Brent, what say you? I'm right there with you. First, I think, you know, I I refer to Biden always. I mean, whenever I put it in print, I always refer to him as the fascist pretender. I never call him president. He's not my president. But he's president. Uh, he is a pretender, uh, and he has isn't even Biden. But that's a whole nother story. There, um, actually, wrote a parody to Billy Billy Joel's uh, "You May Be Right," okay, you song you write, which is "The World Is Crazy," okay, and um, it is. It it genuinely it's absolutely nuts out there, and the truth is that, and I've been saying this for thirty years that this is an insane asylum and the people who participate in it, not just the Bidens of the world and the Netanyahu's of the world, but also the people who silently go along with it, who quietly accept it as, well, this is just the way it is. All of them are inmates of the asylum. And some of us can see what's going on and to, to the, extricated ourselves from that asylum it's extremely frustrating to watch it it's it, it, it's it's just horrible it it's is horrible and 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 i've said i said 30 years ago i still say it today the only thing that's going to fix this ultimately is an armed revolution and no one wants to hear it and no one wants to say it you know and i don't say it because i want it i don't want it but the those people, the evildoers, the ones that are promoting and, and perpetuating the problems that we have today, will not stop. They will not stop. They will not be voted out. They will not quietly go into the background. They won't do it. So the only way to get them out, the only way, is by force. Do you believe that Hitler could have been removed simply by negotiation and discussion? No, of course not. It required force. And the evil that is out there requires force to stop it. It's not going to stop on its own. Yeah. Well, let me show you part of the problem. Part of the problem is the House of Rothschild and Zionism. I care not what puppet is placed upon the throne of England to run and rule the empire on which the sun never sets. The man who controls Britain's money supply controls the British empire. And I control the British money supply, Nathan Rothschild. And then they went in, 
through the Balfour Declaration. They founded the new state of Israel, which they got in 1947. And the world has never been the same. Essentially, the Rothschilds, I like to say, own a nation state. They basically own and control a nation state. But if there's good news, it's that this great awakening, Brent, is real and people around the world are fed up. And I like to see half a million Israelis marching in the streets. You know what would put a quick end to this war? Is if those 500,000 Israelis marched over the border into Gaza and stood shoulder to shoulder with the people of Gaza. I mean, that would be it. It would be game over. What's Bibi going to do then? Kill his own people? Yeah, maybe, probably. And blame it on Hamas, right? Well, again, you, you know, you're right. Okay, the, 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 you have to understand that the people you're dealing with, the Netanyahu's of the world, are evil. They are genuinely evil. They, I do not believe you would hesitate to do what you said, that kill half a million Israelis and blame it on on Hamas, I, I don't believe he would hesitate for a moment. That, you know, that's what you're dealing with. People, do, people are not designed to grasp this nature of evil. I, I had occasion, you, um, my best friend in the world, his name was Harvey. Harvey was shot by a maniac on a bus in argument for a bus transfer and killed. Um, I was the sentencing of the guy they they knew who did it they caught him they had it you know and i was at the sentencing and this guy actually said to a judge in open court he said i would have killed a five-year-old kid if it got me back in the joint because i was a big man in the joint i'll never forget this now i look people in the eye and one of the gifts that god has given me is the ability to see inside people and I had occasion to look this person, I use the word man very loosely on this. I, 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 I had occasion to, to look this person in the eyes and I was like two feet away from him. And in that moment, I knew 100% that there really and truly is evil in the world. There was, th this, this man had nothing but darkness in him, absolutely nothing else. And I knew in that moment that there really is evil. It's not a metaphor. It's not something that we just discuss and philosophize about. It really exists. And that's one of the reasons that I'm able to fight this battle the way I fight it, because I know it exists. So most people can't grasp that. They sit there and say, well, we think that Netanyahu's a really bad guy. Okay. And they can relate to that. There are bad guys out there. But I'm talking about something far more insidious <clears throat> than just a bad guy. There is evil in this world, and that's what we're fighting. That's what this is. This is a war between good and evil. It will not end easily, and it will not end lightly. Right. Yeah, these people are unimaginable bullies, right? That's such an understatement. They're bloodthirsty killers. They're genocidal maniacs. They're eugenicists. And so let's talk about property. You know, I teased it at the beginning of the show regarding Bitcoin being seen and viewed legally by Russia, the Chinese government, the Russian government, and the United States government as property. Let's talk about property and property rights as the World Economic Forum and Dr. Evil, Klaus Schwab says, in the future, you'll own nothing. 
We have a constitution and our rights are secured by God. We're not giving those up. So let's talk about how to secure our property rights forever in the face of this tyranny of Klaus Schwab and the Rothschilds. You know, it's an interesting question because my answer is initially going to surprise you. Okay. Um, It is a a well-known precept among the ultra wealthy that you own nothing. Um, John F. Kennedy, 1959, 1960, somewhere around there, John F. Kennedy had a cat. Now, when you're John F. Kennedy, you own nothing because it's a basic precept in law that ownership equals liability. The owner of property is always liable for damage caused by that property, whether you're the owner, a corporation is, a trust is, it makes no difference. So the wealthiest people know that you own nothing. And John F. Kennedy owned this cat or had this cat, but he didn't own it. He had put it into a common law, pure trust organization, very similar to the trusts that we do. Um, And it was the only thing in the trust. Now, the cat scratched somebody badly on the face. The guy said, I've been scratched by a Kennedy cat. I'll sue. So he did. He sued. He won the case and he was awarded the cat. True story. Everybody laughs. True story. The thing is that there is a moral to that story. If Kennedy had one of his yachts or mansions or Rolls Royces in the same trust that had the cat, it could have been attached to satisfy the damage award from the the legal action. But because the only thing the trust owned was the cat, the guy got the cat. That's the lesson from that real, honest to God, actually happened story. So what the wealthy understand is that ownership equals liability. You're not supposed to know that. You're not supposed to have that in your um, ammunition belt, if you will, for protecting your rights. Okay, you're not supposed to understand that, but that's the truth. So what I teach people to do, and what I myself have done, is to actually own nothing. You want to own nothing, but you want practical control of everything. Not legal control, practical control. Now, this differs from Klaus Schwab, because like you said, Klaus Schwab wants everybody to own nothing and just be subject to you know, the, the so-called powers that be. That's not what I want. Okay. But in today's climate, in which governments are staffed by criminals, and the American government is staffed by criminals because the supreme law of the land is the Constitution, and these people in government are trained to violate the Constitution, meaning they're breaking the law, meaning they're criminals. So you're dealing with a criminal mentality. And what criminals seek to do is take what's yours and make it theirs. So if you have nothing they can take, they will leave you alone. This is psychology to it. And indeed, I own nothing. I own absolutely nothing. Everything that I use is owned by trusts or other artificial entities. And I get to use these things. I get to operate the vehicle okay, in, in which I travel. Okay, but I don't own it. I don't carry liability for it. I get to live in the house, but I don't carry the liability for it. 
I get to run the day-to-day operations of the business, but I don't carry the liability for it because I'm not the owner. That is the key to enjoying your property rights is to actually not have property, but it's not for the Klaus Schwab reasoning, but that is the actual solution. Hmm. Um, what, what we do is we set up common law, pure trusts, a common, a trust, any trust is a right of property held by one party for the benefit of another party. You go to a fancy restaurant, you give the keys to your car to the valet, the valet goes and parks the car. Now, the valet can park that car anywhere he wants. He doesn't have to ask you. He has control over that car for your benefit. He cannot take the car and go cruising up and down the boulevard to impress his friends because that would not be for your benefit. But that relationship is actually called legally an implied trust. Implied because it's not written down. If it was written down, it would be called an express trust. But it's an implied trust. That relationship between you and the valet. So that's all that a trust is. Now, if you take a common law trust, now a common law trust, by the way, it's a common law trust. It's outside of statutory jurisdiction. The courts, the statutory courts have no control over it. The Supreme Court has adjudicated and ruled numerous times on that particular issue. And just so you all know, historically, the first common law pure trusts set up in America was set up in the year 1790 by Patriot Patrick Henry. Give me liberty, give me death, Patrick Henry. It was called the North American Land Company, and it was in existence till the 1990s when it finally shut down. So these trusts have been around for a long, long time. I've been doing them for 30 years, and we've never had a trust broken. Uh, and and they've, many of them have been attacked by uh, IRS, Department of Defense, individuals trying to pierce the trust veil, never succeeded. But the idea is this. You take your house, and it doesn't matter if you have a mortgage, you can still do it. You take your house, you put it into the trust. You get back the beneficial interest in the trust. Now, this trust exists to hold property, the house, for your benefit. You don't own it. So if the IRS is going after you, they can't take the house because it's not yours. If someone falls on the porch, they can't sue you because you don't own it. But you're the one who benefits from it. If the property is sold, you get the proceeds. Question for you. Based on your example, you know, with John F. Kennedy's cat, here's what I was thinking when you mentioned that. And uh, I'm all about trusts. I love this. I wanted to have you on for a long time to talk about this. In fact, I talk about this sometimes off the record with my friend, Sophia Smallstorm, the researcher. And uh, But here's my question. In the example you provided, the guy who sued over the cat was awarded the cat. So how does a trust, a common law trust, prevent the guy who slips and falls on your sidewalk or says he did and then sues you for the house? What's to stop him from being awarded the house? Okay, in the first place, he couldn't sue you because you don't own the house. He could sue the trust. However, the trust is a common law entity. It is not difficult. I'm sorry. It is not easy to sue. One of the reasons for setting up a common law trust is a legal strategy. Number one, a, a statutory court cannot sue this. If the statutory, if you, if the guy filed uh, an action in the statutory court, the trustee would file a motion to have it removed from the court because it's the wrong court. 
So number one, the one who wants to sue has to figure out how to sue the trust. Number two, the trustee has to be served properly. This is not an easy thing to do. It is possible, and it's always possible. The owner of property is always subject to being sued. No exceptions there. But figuring it out, that's not easy. So it is harder to sue a common law pure trust than it is to sue a statutory trust or any other entity, as a matter of fact. It's very, very difficult. Okay, so it's a legal strategy. So do you put different properties in different trusts? For instance, one trust has the house, one trust has the cars, one trust has the jewelry. How does it all work? Yes, yes. Uh, it's, It's the example I just gave you with the Kennedy cat. The more you have in one place, the greater the liability potential for that place. So if you owe, if you put everything you have in trust, then anything that creates a liability problem potentially can affect everything in the trust. For example, I would never, ever have someone put a vehicle and a house in the same trust. The vehicle gets into an accident in a no-fault state, and the next thing you know, the house is attached. Now, it's not easy because it's hard to sue a trust. Nonetheless, mm-hmm. I would always recommend your vehicles, assuming they're not Maseratis or Lamborghinis, your vehicles can go together in one trust, but you would never put them in with, say, real property, real estate. Mm-hmm. Okay, it simply doesn't make sense. The other thing is I would not put, like you have two houses, I would put them in two separate trusts. That's how I would always look to do it. The way I recommend people evaluate this is that you look at the various pieces of property and you evaluate them based on their actual value. Your house is probably your most valuable asset. And you also evaluate them on their potential for liability. Your vehicle is the highest or one of the highest uh, potential for liability pieces of property that you have. And based on that, you decide whether or not it's worth setting up another trust. For example, you put your house in trust and you put the effects of your house in the same trust. That's not a problem. Now, you you could have a liability problem from a chair if somebody falls or a, a fork or a knife. You're not going to set up a trust for every fork and knife and chair you have in the house. That's ridiculous. Okay, there comes a, a, a point where it's just absurd. Okay, so, um, you know, uh, you, you have to determine how many trusts would be appropriate for the assets you are seeking to protect. But the idea here is that when everything is done, you have practical control of the asset without legal control of the asset. Um, As an example, you put your house in trust. Once the house is in trust and it's recorded in the public record, the trust will issue you a general manager's contract hiring you. Your job is to take care of the house keep it in good condition, mow the lawns, you know, if something needs to be repaired, repair it, whatever. All the things you used to do as an owner. But now you're a worker. You're not an owner. And as a worker, you carry no liability. Now, in the contract, you have an obligation. You take care of the house. You receive compensation for that. That's what makes it a contract. And your compensation is that you and your family get to live there rent-free. So now... You live in the house, but you're a tenant. Mm -hmm. You're not an owner. If the IRS comes knocking on the door, you can honestly say, hey, buddy, I just work here. You're going to have to go talk to the owner. 
And that's how trusts protect your property rights. They give you the use of the property without carrying the liability for the property. Love it. If you do it smart, you end up with no personal liability. And if that's the case, you become, from a statutory standpoint, invisible. I mean, I literally do not exist as far as the government's concerned. That's why I can go on the air. I can speak to millions of people on the air and tell them about the income tax and 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 give them all the details about how to opt out of it or property tax or whatever else. And there's nothing they can do. Yeah, because yeah. they're bureaucrats. They can't step outside the box and shut me down. I don't exist as far I, as they're concerned. I'm chomping at the bit to ask you about this. So I love it. Uh, and I know that uh, you've gotten yourself off the plantation and you don't pay these people their blood money, their income tax. More and more Americans are realizing that we have an out of control criminal federal corporate government that does not deserve that blood money anymore. And a lot of Americans are no longer paying income taxes just out of pure outrage at the level of criminality coming out of Washington, D.C. But let's stick on property for a guy like you who set up a trust and the house is in the trust and you're just a tenant, right, living rent free. What about the property rights that you have? or that we all have that are being trampled upon by counties that are putting onerous property taxes on that home, which is completely unconstitutional. And I do want to get my friend James Tracy back on the show because he's taking that on in his area and he's suing. He's suing for damages. He's suing for all of the property taxes he paid since he bought the house, plus damages because it is unconstitutional. Most people don't know that, so they just pay the blood money. And the reason I'm bringing it up to you is because I'm so outraged at my property taxes, which continue to go up far faster than the rate of inflation every single year. Unelected bureaucrats tell me I have to pay more and more money every quarter to live in my home, which I'm supposed to own. We're supposed to have property rights, but property taxes destroy that. First off, twice in the Constitution, it says there shall be no direct taxation without apportionment among the several several states. Apportionment is a process that's never been done Okay, and so we can put that off to the side. We can talk about it if you want, but we can put it off to the side for this discussion. Okay, taxing direct, direct taxation is unconstitutional. A direct tax is a tax on life, liberty or property. So a tax on life, liberty or property is unconstitutional. If the property tax was a tax on property, you are correct. It would be unconstitutional, but it is not. The reason most people don't know what to do about the property tax is they don't understand why they pay it. The property tax is an excise tax. An excise tax is a tax that you volunteer for always. No excise tax is a forced tax. And anything you volunteer for cannot be unconstitutional because you could always have opted out. So the reason you pay the property tax is because you recorded the property with the public record. There is no law requiring you to record the property. When you record the property, you are therefore utilizing government services that you are not required to use. That is what triggers the tax. The amount of the tax is determined by the value of the property, but the tax itself is on your use of the government through the county recorder or the registrar of deeds. 
which is something you don't need to do. Now, I'll, I'll give you a little history on this. I owned five acres of land in Hill Country, Central Texas, for about 10 years. When I bought it, I bought it directly from the previous owner. I paid him $25 in silver coin and the amount that he and I agreed upon. And I got the property. Now, I knew that I didn't need to record the property. But just just as an exercise, I decided to send a letter to the uh, recorder. And I said, I'm thinking of buying property in this county, and I would just like to know, am I required by law to record this property with you? And I got no answer. So a few weeks later, I sent a second letter, and I still got no answer. So a few weeks after that, I sent a third letter, and this time I put some wording in there to try and really push the issue. What's the matter with you? Why don't you answer me? You're not answering me. Is you know I'm going to go over your head and find out what's going on. I, I don't remember what I said, but whatever I said, they sent me back my letter with a handwritten one sentence signed by the recorder himself statement. No, there is no re requirement for you to record the property, which, of course, I knew. I never recorded the property. I had it for almost 10 years. Never got an assessment of one penny. Never paid property tax on it at all. So my point is, it is not unconstitutional. It is voluntary. Now, what do, what do most people do? Most people, when they buy property, they go through a title company or a realtor who uses lawyers who always record the property, always put it into the system. You don't know this. You just assume this is standard. Okay? So they put it in the system. You're in the system. You're getting the property tax uh, bill and all of that. That's how it works. And that's why it works. Everybody does things through lawyers or through accountants or through other so-called experts. They don't do it themselves. Me with my property in Texas, I did it myself. By the way, after 10 years, I sold it and I sold it for profit. And there was no capital gains tax on it either. All right. Well, let me ask you this then. And by the way, the reason everybody's <laughs> getting so outraged about property taxes is because, like I said, they keep going up every single year, much faster than the rate of inflation. So mm -hmm. people will get priced out of their homes if people don't put their foot down and say enough. And so if property tax is an excise tax that you volunteer for by recording your property with the county recorder, how do those of us who are dumb enough to get ourselves in that jam unwind it? Can we Good unwind question. it? Yes, you can. However, I have a recommendation as to how to go about it. You know, if you just go out there and just unrecord the property, they're going to come after you. And you have to remember you're dealing with criminals and they are vicious criminals. So I seek to do it in a way. I always play the psychological cards. I think we, we win our battles on the psychological battleground, not in the legal battleground. So that's how I play it. This is how I would recommend doing it. You have a you have a house, okay? You set up a common law trust, you put the property into the trust. Now you don't own the property, the trust owns the property, okay? The trust does indeed have a warranty deed recorded with the county recorder. This is an important step because it establishes in the 
public record that you don't own the property anymore. It takes you out of the loop. And that's important for what you're going to do. So now the property is recorded in the name of the trust and you actually go through an entire year of property tax. Uh, in many places, they, they uh, have uh, two assessments uh, every six months. Sometimes they do it once a year, whatever it is. You're going to pay one year's worth of property tax. And the reason for that is you want to entrench it into the public record that the trust not only owns the property, but has been paying the property tax. So there can be no question that the trust is the body that matters here. You are out of the loop here. After a year, if you want to proceed, I always tell people to have a consultation with me to go over the details again before they proceed. Okay, And in that consultation, I explain to you, you set up a second trust. The first trust transfers the property to the second trust. Now, the first trust sends to the recorder something called a notice of transfer of deed and sale for cash. This notice is sent certified mail return receipt. It goes to the, the property, uh, to the uh, county recorder, or the registrar of deeds, and they will put it in the file and forget about it. They will expect that the new owner is going to record the property. So they won't do anything. They'll just put it away in the file. The new owner, the second trust, does not record the property. Now, down the road, it comes time to send out tax statements. And the assessor gets the information from the recorder as to who the owner of the property is. That's how the assessor knows to assess the tax. It is possible that they will take the last recorded owner, the first trust, and send an assessment to that party. So let's assume that happens. If it doesn't happen, then there's no assessment made. So this conversation is now over. But let's assume that does happen. So the first trust receives an assessment for property tax on property that it, it has already notified the county recorder it doesn't own anymore. So the first trust is going to send back a letter with that assessment saying that, hey, we sent you a notice of transfer of deed and sale for cash several months ago. You have this. We have the, the uh, return receipt that says you received it. We know that you got it. Why are you sending us a property tax bill? Okay, we're returning the bill to you. Please send it to whomever is supposed to get this tax bill. It's not us. Thank you very much. There's nothing they can do at this point. Okay, they cannot go after trust number one because trust number one doesn't own the property. They cannot go after trust number two because trust number two has never recorded the property. There is nobody to assess. That's how you do it. Now, there is a risk. Okay, the risk is that some rogue bureaucrat would decide at some point well, this property hasn't had any tax paid on it, and we're going to go after that property. Now, that would be unconstitutional. But if they tried to do that, the second trust ultimately would have to come out of the woodwork and identify itself in order to contest it. It would still contest it. It would not have recorded the property, and there is no justification for the tax. But 
in most circumstances, nothing would happen. At the, at the point at which the first trust sent its letter back, there's nothing else the recorder can do. There's nothing else the assessor can do. There is no owner who has recorded the property. That's how you do it. Well, that's an interesting legal strategy. And guys, I will follow up with James Tracy. We'll get him back on. We'll get his update. I know he's taking this on from a different angle and he does listen to other experts. Brent has been at this for a very long time though. So I do trust Brent's judgment. If you want to set something like this up, we'll tell you how you can get in touch with Brent. Brent, the other reason I forgot to tell you this too, in my last rant, the other reason for my outrage is get this. So you know how each little neighborhood in these municipalities sometimes has a name. So you're going to go through like Shadowbrook. It's the Shadowbrook neighborhood. And then there's another neighborhood butting up to it called something else. Well, the neighborhood that butts up to our neighborhood. Are you ready for this? Friends of ours live there two blocks away. The the whole neighborhood just got the blacktop roads repaved, right? So new blacktop, the roads look brand new. Instead of the city picking up the tab to do that, each homeowner got assessed $2,900 to have the roads in front of their houses repaved, re-blacktopped. That is madness. And believe me, these people are outraged, right? Because they pay property taxes. And they're all asking, what do our property taxes go for, go to, if not this? We understand most of it goes to schools. And that's against our will. We don't get credits if we want to send our kids to a private school. We just got to pay the blood money property taxes. And now y'all just re-blacktop the roads and you want us to pay another 2900 People are pissed. And they should be. Refuse, it's about time ref- people stand up, Brent. Refuse to pay it. Refuse to pay it. And then what happens? They'll put a lien on your home. It's a, a challenge the lien. You know, how what on on what basis do they charge you? Did you agree to something? Did they submit to you that okay, we're gonna do this and we're gonna charge you for it? Are you agreeing to it? Did you agree to it? That's a great point. No, that's a great point. It brings me back to many conversations I've had with smart guys like you that say, Show me the contract. Yeah. Do we have a contract? Yeah. If not, our business is done here. Yeah. And and if they say that there is a contract and you didn't know about it or you didn't knowingly agree to it, in order for you to agree to a contract or an agreement, your entry into that agreement has to have four component elements. It has to be a knowing, intelligent act entered into intentionally and voluntarily. And if any of those four component elements are not present, then the contract is fraud. So you have to know what you're doing. You have to be of sound mind. You have to have thought about it, an intelligent act. It's not impulsive. You have to intend the consequences of your entry into that agreement, and it has to be voluntary. If any of those is not true, then you cannot be held to that agreement because you did not enter into it as a knowing, intelligent act intentionally and voluntarily. That's a great point. And I'm going to share this video with my friends to whom this happened, because we're next. We're told our neighborhood is next year and we'll Absolutely. all be assessed. And That's here's the thing, we Brent, we don't own the roads. I don't own the road in front of my house. How in the world is that my obligation to pay? It's not. It's not. <laughs> so they bully us just like they bullied all the neighbors in that neighborhood right next to us, including our friends. They bully these people into paying onerous amounts of money because they're bureaucrats who think that they can get away with anything because they're criminals and nobody ever stands up. Nobody ever questions them. That's correct. And it is by your silence. There's a principle in law called tacit acceptance. I send you a letter it says, Sean, you owe me a million dollars. 
Okay. You throw it out. 30 days later, I can go and try and collect on the million dollars. Why? Because by your silence, you have consented. It's called tacit acceptance. The idea is if you didn't owe me a million dollars, you would have said something. You would have sent me a letter said, Brent, I don't owe you a million dollars. I don't owe you anything. At which point you would have countered the presumption created by my statement that you owe me a million dollars. And at that point, you wouldn't owe me a million dollars. But by their silence, they consent. It's a, it's a uh, commercial law principle called tacit acceptance, and most people agree to it without even knowing. Tacit acceptance. This tacit. is brilliant. Ta tacit. Not yeah, tacit. tacit. I, I spelled it right. T-A-C-E-T. -E no, I wrote it down. I just -A -C -I -T. can't speak. T -A -C -I -T. Oh, T-A-C-I-T. -A -A okay, well, yes. I can't speak or spell. All right, here's the thing. <laughs> We're going to do a screen share. See, what a fascinating conversation with my longtime friend, Brent Johnson. If you guys want to reach out to him, here's the website, The Voice of Freedom. At least that's to watch his show. Brent, how do people reach you directly? There's a phone number right there on that homepage, 888-385-3733, 888 385-FREE. That'll get through to us. All right, guys, 888-385-3733. That's to get Brent Johnson on the line to talk about trusts, to talk about common law, pure trusts, and anything else you might need regarding your rights, because we all have rights, and it's about damn time we all exercise our rights. Absolutely. And let me, let me go back, if I may, for a moment, just go back to trusts and everything. I want people to understand that this is more than just your house. This is anything at all that you, if you have a business, you put it into trust, you're hired to run the business. So you run the business, you're the general manager. You just don't carry the liability of ownership. You can take anything and everything that you have and, and you can actually, using the trust, you can reduce to a minimum the liability. I had a client who was a farmer and he set up four trusts. In the first trust, he put the business of the farm, the payables, the receivables, all that stuff. In the second trust, he put the real estate, the land, the house, the barn. In the third trust, he put the heavy equipment, the backhoes, uh, the tractors, that kind of stuff. And in the fourth trust, he put the livestock. So the trusts that own the real property, the equipment, and the livestock leased them to the trust that owned the business. Now, if there's ever a grievance and they decide they want to sue the business, they can't go after the land, the house, the barn, the equipment, or the livestock because none of it is owned by the business. I had a second, second client, a dentist, set up two trusts. He put the dental practice in one trust, the payables, the receivables, and he put that half a million dollars worth of heavy of, of technical equipment, the x-ray machines, the diamond drills, which are real diamonds. Um, very, very expensive. He put that in a second trust and it leased the equipment over to the, biz, the dental practice to run. So the dental practice got to use the equipment, but if anybody had ever had a grievance and decided to go after the dental practice, they couldn't take the equipment for the same reason. So using these trusts, you can... Eliminate personal liability and virtually down to a bare minimum, minimize all other kinds of liability. That's what it does. And it makes you invisible because the thieves in government look for your liabilities 
because they know they can draw a straight line to your assets from them. If they can't find liability, you're not a person of interest to them. That's how you live free. Perfect. All right. Well, as you all know, Klaus Schwab, the World Economic Forum, the House of Rothschild, the House of Rockefeller, Bill Gates, they're all aligned against you and your property as they fly around in private jets going to their mansions all over the world. And in the future, they say you'll own nothing and be happy. No, this is where we put our foot down. This is the line in the sand. Our property rights are given to us by God. And these creepy, godless bureaucrats do not have the power to take it. Right? That's it. Line in the sand. If we don't stand up for our property rights, my God, we don't stand up for children already in this country and around the world, Brent. But if we don't stand up for our own property rights, well, then we are already slaves who lost the war. Well, and and I actually always address with, with new clients, I always address property rights first, because once you take care of the property rights, you know, you, you are basically unsuable because you don't have anything. You know, you simply don't have anything to take. And once you do that, you could take care of other areas. You can protect your your freedoms. You can protect your your life. You know, you can do things like that, knowing that like the IRS, for example, if the IRS comes after you, they can't take anything because you don't have anything to take. So all they become is a paper terrorist. They send you documents, which, do, you know, don't it, it, with the IRS. It's always civil. It's never criminal if you don't commit fraud. Yeah, and um, they will leave you alone because there's nothing I can get from you. So if you deal with the property rights first, you will set the stage to be able to draw your line in the sand against everything else. All right, very good. I want to make one thing clear as we say our goodbyes. Brent and I don't have an affiliate relationship. I'm just paying this information forward, guys. If you call Brent and you work with Brent, that's between you and Brent. There's nothing that comes back to me from that. I'm very clear about these things when I am an affiliate, right? So when I have Hope and Tavon on and they sell you some great stuff to protect you from EMF radiation, y'all know there's a little commission that comes back to SGT report to fund the operation. In this case, I'm just paying the information forward. And Brent, how do people listen to your show? How do people find it? Okay, well, uh, there are podcasts on the website. If you go to the website, there's a place you can sign in as a member. And when you do that, you will have access to some of the podcasts. I also do a weekly conference call, and that's the one that you were originally pointing to the, yes, that's that one. Okay, I do that on Tuesday evenings, 8 o'clock Eastern time for a couple of hours. So you can call in, you can listen, you can actually ask questions. If you want to talk to me, you can talk to me right there, and I will answer you right there and then. Um, You can also set up. You can also set up a, a consultation, private consultation with me where we can dialogue on whatever it is you want to discuss. And then I am getting ready, and I will let you know, I promise, Sean, I'm getting ready to relaunch the Global Freedom Report as a commercial broadcast. Uh, my flagship station is going to be KRLA out of Salem Communications, uh, Southern California, Los Angeles commercial market. Um, and I will be on numerous stations around the country. I'll also be on international shortwave. All of that's coming in the very, very near future. So I will be back on the broadcast airwaves, more than just podcasts, but the actual broadcast airwaves. That's coming very soon. All right. Excellent. Well, thanks again for your time today. We appreciate the information and the education as we all stand up 
pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, draw the line in the sand and say, no more. No more. You do not have my tacit acceptance of your tyranny. Our guest has been Brent Johnson. Brent, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure's all mine. And friends, thank you so much for tuning in. As always, I'll remind you every single day for free. Visit us for free at thephaser.com, thelibertymill.com, and of course, sgtreport.com, where we try day in, day out, 24-7 to bring you the truth, the real news, the antidote to corporate propaganda, and all of those mockingbird, mainstream media, I would call them Zionist lies. God bless you and yours, friends. Bye-bye. The British and American intelligence, along with the Israeli Mossad, worked to create the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, ISIS, a terrorist organization that is able to attract all extremists of the world to one place, using a strategy called the Hornet's Nest. It is created to protect the Zionist entity of Israel by creating it with religious and Islamic slogans. You know, I used to say early on when I was a kid, I'd say when I was a young senator, I'd say, if I were a Jew, I'd be a Zionist. I am a Zionist. You don't have to be a Jew to be a Zionist.